This is The Bottom Line, a show designed to help Australian businesses succeed. On the show, you'll hear from leading Australian business owners as they share the lessons they've learned building their companies. You'll learn from their successes, as well as some of the challenges they've faced along the way. We also talk to experts from a range of fields who share specialised techniques you can use to improve your business. I'm your host, Savan Tuna, and I'm a director at Alexander Spencer, and I'm really passionate about helping Australian businesses succeed. In today's episode, you'll hear part two of our conversation with Sabri Subi, the founder and head of growth at King Kong. Today, Sabri explains why you should view your marketing spend as an investment, what digital marketing will look like in the future, and then Sabri opens up the mailbag and answers questions submitted by you. Let's dive in. I'm going to talk a little about P&Ls. You mentioned accountants have been probably not the best friends of digital marketing agencies and pick on the P&L and the advertising spend. I'm not one of those. And what I actually do see is, I would say, and I haven't done the stats on this, but at a high level, 75% or more of my clients, I don't think allocate enough money for marketing and so on. Why do you think that is? Did you feel that way before meeting me? Probably not. I probably was the accountant that thought, hey, spending a lot of money on marketing, I could add 100 grand to his bottom line (laughs) by telling him not to spend the money on the marketing. I probably, maybe not definitely, but I'm going to probably say I probably would have. But I've definitely changed my mind since I've met you. I actually think accountants have to be the ones that actually educate clients that in order to grow your business, you need to look at expenditure that gives you a return on investment. And marketing is one of them because you have to discretionally go and spend it and actually make a choice to do it people are scared i think but what are your thoughts why do you think that people just don't do it or don't put effort into it i think it's because exactly that that they look at it as a cost on the pnl rather than an investment it's like you're in no better position to comment on this than anybody because you're looking at people's PLs all day, right? And like I know because I speak to clients, like most clients, they will have like a bunch of cash sitting around in a term deposit account, right? <laughs> i.e. it's another word for rotting. It just sits there and it rots. You get paid one to 3% after inflation. You don't even break even. It depreciates every year and it's sitting there just doing nothing, just rotting. So the first thing is if you're a business builder and you're not a business owner, and there's a very important distinction to make with those because there's a lot of people who run businesses, i.e. create a job for themselves and have no team and are constantly in frantic mode, running around their business, putting out fires, not taking weekends, not getting paid holidays. And they basically have quit their job to work twice as hard for the same amount of money. It's just the reality. Like the average business owner makes 42 grand a year. I actually will agree. I mean, I have great clients that do way better than that, but I see many, many, many of those. Yeah. And a lot of those people are plagued 
by their own self-limiting beliefs. So if you're a business builder and you're here to build a business and create freedom and abundance and create a business that serves you and you're not a slave to the business, then you need to, one of the most important things that you'll do in the growth of your business is you'll be sitting down and meditating and thinking on capital deployment and how you deploy the capital that you've got to further grow your business. And it ain't gonna grow at one to 3% a year. I want to share a story, Sabri. Um, it was one of our earlier meetings. I think it was about year one or so. I don't know if you remember this. I was having a meeting with one of, actually it was your wife, Charlene, and we're just chatting and she asked me a question. She said, oh, look, we've got some reserves because she was doing a lot of the accounting back then. And she said, oh, I've got some reserves set aside. And you know, what do you think we should do with it? And I remember you walking in and you said, what are you guys talking about? I said, oh, I'm just telling Charlene about, you know, the options you have with these reserves that you've got. And he said, oh, what's your strategy? And I said, oh, you know, you could put it in <laughs> term deposit and, and you could put it in short term fixed interest. And he said, oh, how much would I get back? And I, I know this was a few years ago. So it was like maybe three or 4% back then, maybe more. He said, you know, I can just spend that money and five times it. Why would I let it rot? You've said that exactly. He said, why would I let it rot? Why are you guys even having this conversation? If we have cash reserves, I'm putting that into spending in the business because I'll be getting that five, six, seven times the return. And I remember walking away from that conversation, putting my laptop down going, this guy's too good. And it was like, and that may have been the little trigger. I think that must have been when I was like, I can't be the accountant that advises clients to be putting their money in term deposit in the reserves and actually being the accountant that tells the client, what are you doing to grow your business? Where's your capex expenditure? Where's your marketing expenditure? And what are you going to do with that reserve to make your business better? And I think you have taught me a little bit in that conversation. So I can attest to you applying that method to your business. It just comes down to like not looking at it as the cost on the PL, looking at it as an investment. And only way to do that is just to get clear on like, you know, you're putting money in to a feedback loop, right? Into a system that's getting a feedback loop and you're putting $1 in, how much is coming out? And you can't look at it as an investment until you look at it as an investment. Like you're actually measuring the returns that you are getting from that. And the moment that you do that, I'm not saying like you just go out there and just chuck all the money that you've got. Like you need to be sensible. I'm big on having at least six months worth of cash reserves in the bank account if no more money was to come in. But over and above that, it is irresponsible to keep that excess money in the bank account and not put it to work yeah. and to help fuel the growth of your business. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about strategy. I know that paid advertising is very big and it's part of what you do a fair bit of. Can you tell us an example where you've worked with a client where you utilize the paid advertising strategy and they just blow it out of the water and you're like, wow. And, you know, they're indebted to you for a long time. But can you give us an example of a client that you can think of where paid advertising was really successful for them? We've been fortunate to work with thousands of clients in over 416 different industries and niches and now have generated well north of $1.33 billion in sales. 
for our clients. There are a bunch of examples to name a few. You know, we help Koala Mattress go from zero to 13 million in their first year. And then it just blew up to a whole nother level after that. That was mainly through Facebook ads. We've helped Australia's biggest home builder explode their business. We've worked with people like Breathe Education, who was working out of the back of a friend's yoga studio, barely breaking even at like 20K per month in revenue, being stressed out of their mind, not knowing how they're going to pay their staff to now doing north of 6 million and being in multiple continents. There's so many stories to kind of go into. And with all of those things, we typically see the same limiting beliefs that are holding those people back is these ceilings that people create for themselves around how much money could I possibly spend? Or it's like the first thing, like I speak to business owners all the time and they'll be like, can I pay you to like mentor me or to coach me? Or can I meet with you half an hour a month? Or blah? And my answer is a blanket no. That's not because I don't want to help them, but it's because I want to help way more people than just one person. So I focus on other tools and vehicles to be able to have more impact than just in that one thing. But as like a parting word of advice, like I'll spend five minutes with them and I'll yeah. be like, Okay. So where are you at? Like, where are you at in the business? And they'll be like, okay, like, oh, we're making a million bucks a month. And I'm like, cool. How much are you spending on ads? And they'll be like, I'm spending like five grand a month on ads. And I'm like, cool. How much money is that's making you? And they'll be like, oh, I make about a hundred grand or I make 50 grand from that five grand. And I'll be like, okay, awesome. Like, how big do you want to grow the business? And they're like, oh, I want to get to 3 million. And I'm like, okay, cool. Like, have you tried spending more money on ads? And they're like, oh no. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, well, why? And they're like, oh, I didn't think about that. And I'm like, well, like just go and spend, like go double your ad spend and let me know how you go. And then they go out and they double their ad spend and they're like, oh, the, the revenue doubled or whatever it might be. And it's just like, that's just like a fundamental thing is that that's the biggest thing that I see plaguing people is that they really, no matter how they look at it, they just can't get away from looking at advertising as an expense and not an investment. And it's because they typically don't have those systems in place to measure all of those things. With technology developing so fast, what do you reckon digital marketing will look like in 10 years from now? Is it going to be different to what it is or is it going to be much of the same? No, it's like, Everything is changing and it's changing at a rapid rate with the advancements of AI and how much like the algorithms are able to kind of like secure and find buyers and find these little hidden pockets of profit in different mediums and audiences. For me, I don't spend a lot of time thinking about all the things that are going to change in the next 10 years. I spend my time focusing on the things that aren't going to change. Mm because things change so quickly. So the same stuff that worked 150 to 250 years ago when everything was mail order and people were running newspaper ads and it was direct mail and it was cutting coupons, all of that same stuff still works today. It's just a different delivery vehicle. So I just have like the mental models that I use for advertising. It's like at the end of the day, when you boil everything down, it's about getting attention grabbing eyeballs, understanding the pains and fears, hopes and dreams of that market better than anybody else. And then being able to communicate with those people in a compelling way that gets them to act. 
whether it's Facebook or it's TikTok or it's a new platform or there's AI bot technologies buying media, it's still human beings on the other side of that media. And they'll all still want to lose weight. They'll still want to sleep better at night. They'll still want to have better sex. They'll still want to be richer. They'll still want all of these things that we want because it's the same things that is been driving human beings for thousands of years. So for me, I look at mastering the psychology and not the technology because a lot of the technology and these changes that happen with platforms have a very short half-life, right? You can become an absolute expert in Facebook ads, but one thing that we know for certain pretty much is that what Facebook ads look like now and what it will look like in 10 years from now, if Facebook's even around in 10 years from now, is going to be vastly different. So if you're spending all of your time on activities that have a very short half-life, then you're not going to get paid compounding interest of those into perpetuity for the rest of your life. But if you focus really on understanding psychology and influence and persuasion and all of these things, these are things that are going to compound because regardless of what the advertising channel is, I just move into those advertising channels using my own frameworks and mental models to go in there and wipe the floor with the competition because they're all focused on the widgets, the new media buying strategy, all these latest tech stuff and not the things that aren't going to change. And they're constantly like a rat on the wheel running faster and faster every month for less and less cheese. And I just think that that's a terrible way to run a business. You are so inspirational. I want to change it up a little bit and just talk about business because you are an awesome leader. I've seen you in action at the waterhole meetings and I've seen you interact with your staff. You are very influential. However, you've built an awesome business. Who are the three people or roles at King Kong that you couldn't survive without? It's definitely a hard one. It's almost like naming like favorite children and, <laughs> and trying to go down that horrible exercise. But one thing that I will say is that, you know, we spoke previously about being a business owner versus a business builder. A very powerful exercise that I think that every business builder must do is constantly looking at making themselves redundant at every step of the journey. So if you would have asked me who is someone that I can't live without, you know, when I just began the business, it would be my first account manager. It would be my first salesperson, right? Because they were the thing that I was doing all day long. And then I made myself redundant by hiring a team. And then it would be like, okay, as a person that's doing like the SEO strategy or it's doing the landing pages or it's doing the designing or doing all these things about man I can't live without that person and as you ascend and there's different multiple ascension points in the business is you constantly want to be asking yourself is this the best use of my time or could I hire somebody else to do this you want to be constantly buying back your time and the people that you can't live without is going to depend on what part of the journey that you're at right now. I'm fortunate to have an incredible general manager who's an absolute weapon and having an awesome team of managers as well. And they all very much well run the business. And, you know, my focus is on 
growing the business and thinking about where the market's shifting and where we're going and where things are going to be in three years time from now. And a lot of the success that you see that I get to take praise for is the awesome team that's behind me that enables me to do the things that I am world-class in. And we constantly are looking for people that are world-class in their own different domains and the things that they do, right? So the people that I'm in the most direct contact with and the people that I can't live without is definitely my team of managers, my general managers, because they're the ones that I'm speaking and dealing with and leading on a much more frequent occurrence than, you know, potentially the person that's answering the phones, right? Or individual salespeople. Other than marketing expertise, what makes King Kong so successful? Is it all the stuff that you said, or is it one or two things that you do so unique? Is it your leadership? Is it the focus of King Kong? What's the one thing that makes you so successful? It all boils down to, first of all, being very clear on the vision of the business and the problem that we solve. Like for us, we started as like a local digital marketing agency, just me in my bedroom, making 150 cold calls a day, calling up people that were running Google AdWords and saying that I could get them on the left-hand side of Google and save the money and get them more business. And we were just like the one trick pony, just SEO, just local services. And then as we started to add on more traffic channels, it was from a place of me wanting to be channel agnostic and not being biased towards one channel, regardless of if that channel was more profitable for us. Because it's the old adage, like to the man with a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And that's what most people are. They're like, I sell SEO, therefore SEO solves all problems. And it doesn't come from a place that's like customer centric and you're thinking about the best results for your clients. You're more thinking about like pigeonholing in what you've got to sell them and then just ramming it down their throat. And the reality of it is that not all channels are right for all businesses. So to get away of that, we, you know, we rolled out to multiple different services to be able to serve our clients and give them an even better experience and even give them an even greater chance and odds of them being successful, knowing that the deck was really stacked against us in solving this really complex problems. And then we evolved from a channel agnostic business to a product agnostic business where we don't just sell digital marketing. Like we've got books and courses and programs and mentorship and training that we're trying to basically meet prospects at every part of the journey because we're focused around solving the number one problem businesses face, which is how to get more customers. They're not here to sign up to Google ads or to sign up to SEO. They're here to solve the problem. And the thing that makes us successful is just having a ridiculous customer obsession of making sure that we've got a lot of different weapons in our arsenal that we can deploy to try and help our clients solve that problem, regardless of where they're at. We asked our clients that if they could only ask you one question, what would it be? And we surveyed our clients, we sent it out as emails put it on our socials and I was actually gobsmacked the reaction we got. We got heaps and heaps of questions come back and I've selected two that I want to ask you. They are directly from our clients. And actually, before I do that, just so you know, if you did want to have more mentors, uh, there were a lot of responses that said, can Sabri be my mentor? So do you want to go into that? I've got some names. The first question I want to ask from our clients is other than sell like crazy, 
the title of your book, which is awesome. I've read it and I recommend everyone to read. But what is the one must-read book you would recommend to a business owner? If it's in regards to the area that I operate in, in getting customers and persuasion and influence, it would be Scientific Advertising by Claude Hopkins. It was written in the 1920s and it is as applicable today as it was back then. The last question from our clients was, with such a busy schedule, how do you stay focused and disciplined and not get overwhelmed? The way that I do it is by, first of all, optimizing everything by one, making sure that I'm focused on the revenue producing activities that are really going to propel my company forward and that are going to be the best use of my time, whether that's hiring talent, bringing people into the team, focusing on markets that we're going to be entering in or strategy for two, three, four years out. That's the thing that I first want to make sure that I am focusing my time on the best areas of my time before I then go in and optimize my time. So that's a very important distinction to make is having a look at the minutia, looking at the, I call it little chore hell is where you just get caught up in all these little chores that like a death by a thousand cuts in your business. And it just keeps you in this constant frantic erratic state, but you go nowhere. Mm. I look at eliminating all of that busy work. And then once you've managed to do that and you're really focusing on the highest yielding activities, I like to break my year down into a year. And then I break that year down into quarters and then I break those quarters down into months. And then I break those months down into weeks. And then I break those weeks down into days and I violently execute on my daily tasks so I can course correct. And I know where things are going and I can set like, it's very difficult just to set like one big goal, right. To achieve in a year. Well, it's easy to do, but it's hard to achieve the hard thing to do. It's not like that moment of inspiration, it's the 365 days of perspiration to actually make that happen. So I look at what's the big goal that I want to hit. And then I break that down into activities that would need to be executed in order to hit that. And then I plan out my year and think, okay, this is the quarter I'm going to do this. This is the quarter I'm going to do that. And then, you know, this is what I'm going to do this month from that quarterly goal. And then this is what I'm going to do each day. And I make sure that I just wake up and I violently execute on those things. I put attention moats around myself, which is called like deep work. I turn off my phone. I close my email. I tell my team not to contact me. And I just lock myself in a dungeon and I don't allow people to contact me while I focus on those big, hairy, needle moving problems that need to be solved. And I apply all of my mental focus on those things. And, you know, I wear an aura ring. I optimize my sleep. I make sure that I'm exercising. I make sure that I look after myself so that I can look after my business. Cause you can't give what you don't have. If you don't have energy and abundance and vitality, you can't give that to your team. You can't give that to your business. So it starts with focusing on the things that are really important, then making sure that you're cutting out all distractions and breaking those things down into daily actionable tasks that you can do. And I think that just by taking that more strategic lens and looking at it through at those lens, that kills a lot of the overwhelm and anxiety and franticness because you're systematically looking at solving the problem. You're not operating a business based on emotions or how you feel that day. You're operating it based on a plan that you sat down and thoughtfully created. 
you must have some exciting projects um, coming up. So what's the next 12 months look like for you? What's the goal? Four and a half months ago, I've just launched into the US, the UK, Canada, and New Zealand. We are in a fortunate place that I started with one client. We now have 150,000 customers and we're entering into multiple markets. So for me, I'm still obsessively focused on solving that problem. And it's more so how do we solve that problem for more and more people? And the answer to that for us is to reach more people. And the answer to that is we need to even have more of an emphasis on focusing on not just the 2 million small businesses that are in Australia, but the 150 million small businesses that are out there in the English speaking world. Global domination. And it's not about that. It's about helping people. And you do give a lot to the business community. I want to thank you so, so, so much for taking the time out of your day today. I know your time is precious, but I do want to thank you for that. No problems. Thanks for having me on. It's been a pleasure. Awesome. Thank you so, so much. This is The Bottom Line, a show designed to help Australian businesses succeed. This podcast was produced by accountancy firm Alexander Spencer. At Alexander Spencer, we've been helping business owners realise their goals since 1952, and we play a pivotal role in developing, implementing, and supervising the business goals and strategies of our clients. To find out how we can help your business succeed, head to our website, alexanderspencer.com.au. To make sure you don't miss an episode of The Bottom Line, be sure to subscribe to or follow the show in your podcast app. And while you're there, leave us a five-star review. It really helps others find the show. I'm Savan Tuna, and we'll be back next episode with more tips to help you transform your business. And that's The Bottom Line.